everybody, this is Randy Shandabel, and you're listening to This Golden State. Today, an interview with California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom on the resistance to Donald Trump. There's no indication that he's changed, and that means we need to be prepared for the worst. We'll also talk about the 2018 governor's race, because now think about this, the resistance to Donald Trump could become a major campaign issue. The United States of America needs California more with all due respect than California needs it. If you're one of those people who resent other people who have it better than you, well, you probably don't want to meet the former San Francisco mayor and current lieutenant governor, Gavin Newsom. He's incredibly smart, ridiculously handsome, he's wealthy, wears clothes most of us can't afford, has a wife who's just as smart and good-looking as he is, He's a natural athlete. At times, he comes off as a bit arrogant. Kind of like that guy Carly Simon was singing about. Oh yeah, I forgot. He's the early frontrunner to become California's next governor. He's already being talked about as a possible candidate for president just four years from now. And he's still in his 40s. But all those critics who dismiss Newsom as a silver spoon liberal who can't really back up his arguments, well, just sit down and listen to this interview we did for a special series of podcasts we're doing on the resistance in conjunction with San Francisco Magazine. Their resistance issue is coming out right after the Trump inauguration. Lieutenant Governor Newsom, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. Donald Trump's inauguration is now just days away. I'm sure you're not looking forward to it. Tell me what you dread the most about January 20th. I guess the uncertainty, fundamentally, the fact that uh, we don't know what we don't know. We have a sense uh, that we've experienced a pattern during the campaign and during the transition. But at the end of the day, we don't have any safeguards. We don't have uh, any safety net. Right now you have President Barack Obama that's there just in case uh, on inaugural day that no longer exists. With regard to Donald Trump, what does the word resistance mean to you? I mean, standing for principle, standing up, pushing back, fighting for the things we believe in, not rolling over. Um, that's what, from my perspective, resistance means. Standing tall, standing firm, uh, and pushing back on the things that we hold near and dear, our values. We asked Newsom if he liked the word resistance, embraced it, because some politicians we've talked to have kind of shied away from the word, fearing that a vindictive Donald Trump might use it as an excuse to retaliate. Yeah, I mean, I like to be proactive. I like to be, um, I like leaning in as opposed to standing firm or, 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 or leaning back. But yeah, no, under the circumstance, it's, a, it's about, you know, it's about some, you know, it's about being firm, but also flexible. It's about pivoting. It's about anticipating. Uh, it's about resisting, but it's also about the counterpunch. It's not just about taking the punches, taking the hits in plain defense. Uh, I think a resistance also includes a strong offense as well. Clearly, since Democrats are in the minority in Congress, a lot of the resistance will have to fall to states and cities, I'm guessing. You know, they'll try to stop some things, but they won't be able to stop much. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, we were lamenting not too many years ago, Rick Perry focusing on uh, the 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 profound significance of the 10th Amendment of the Constitution and federalism. And here we are now embracing the notion of progressive federalism and the importance of states and states' rights and states being laboratories of democracy, cities' laboratories of innovation, uh, and how change is really bottom-up and how government governance increasingly is bottom-up, not top-down. And so it's interesting how quickly we're now pivoting uh, to a very similar narrative that the Republicans, quite candidly, have pivoted to after Barack Obama's ascendancy. 
Well, in Trump's instance, what specifically can states and cities do? Well, again, all this is is subject to certain actions, not assertions. So we've got a lot of rhetoric. At the end of the day, if you're going to defund sanctuary cities, you've got to first define what a sanctuary city is. Uh, and they have, I think they're going to have an unbelievably difficult task defining it. If they're going to uh, gut the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Air Act, well, there's litigation associated with that. How quickly can they move to that agenda um, and actually effectuate it is, is subject to uh, the courts in many respects. So all these things are subject to uh, a labyrinth of of layers of bureaucracy and law and uh, and uh, and process. So again, all of it is to be determined. But you know, I was listening to the campaign people talking in terms of taking um, Trump literally but not seriously. Others said seriously but not literally. Uh, I frankly take him seriously and literally until we otherwise know better. Meaning, there's no indication that he's changed since he's transitioned to uh, his president-elect status from the campaign, and that means we need to be prepared for the worst and uh, and be proactive, not just reactive, not just resisting, but proactive in our own agenda to assert our values on a national stage, particularly California values on a national stage that we believe still have resonance uh, that uh, are much broader than the state confines itself. So far, is Governor Brown doing enough in your estimation? Is the state legislature doing enough or is there more that they could be doing? I, I think we prepared ourselves extraordinarily well. I think we are prepared. No one's taking this lightly. Everyone's taking it softly on the environment, on immigration, on health care, on a series of other issues, education. Uh, so I think we are we we prepared ourselves. Some have, in fact, suggested we've over stated the concern. I don't think we have. That said, you know, we survived the Bush years. I survived when we were mayor of San Francisco. We were hardly favored nation status as a city vis-a-vis George W. Bush or as a state. Uh, and we survived. We were resilient. I'm confident we'll survive. We'll be resilient uh, in the face of, of the Trump administration. But this is a different uh, administration than the Bush administration. It's a different Congress than the Bush Congress. Uh, and it certainly, I think, requires even more vigilance. There's so many proposals that he has that so many Democrats are so strongly against uh, deporting immigrants, registering all Muslims, building a wall, rolling back regulations on the environment, appointing conservative justices, uh, stop and frisk. The list goes on. I could probably (laughs) list 10 more. Obviously, you're not going to be able to stop them all. And strategically, I would guess you have to pick and choose your battles because you're going to win some, lose some. And in the ones you pick, you have to decide which ones you're going to let go. Well, I mean, in some respects, that's choosing, you know, lesser of two evils. I know I think you can fight for all these things. I mean, you can multitask. You can assert yourself and your principles and you can stand firm on all of these things um, and uh, and be assertive and aggressive. Um, you know, all these things matter uh, from my perspective, in many respects, equally. I mean, they certainly matter profoundly. You know, an individual is going to lose their health uh, insurance or health care. and profoundly matters to a family or a family member who loses a loved one to deportation. It profoundly matters to the commons, the rest of us, what happens to the environment. Uh, so all of these things, from my perspective, have equal status uh, and stature, and so they should be uh, accordingly. Uh, we should assert ourselves. Um, but, yeah, there will be things they will be more successful at than others. But again, it's a constitutional democracy. It's a republic, and there are multiple branches of government. Uh, it is not the United States of Donald King it's, or, or, or uh, King Donald. King Donald, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of, 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 of Don King at that press conference the other day of Donald Trump. But, you know, we still have a lot of tools in our toolkit, and we still have a lot of, you know, a lot of levers uh, to pull. And uh, so I, I'm not, uh, it's a dystopian 
picture some have painted, but I'm not necessarily wanting to, to, to call it quits. To try to stop everything, though, isn't there a danger of uh, looking like Mitch McConnell and the Republicans repeating the party of no? Well, it's everything. I mean, everything that we, we find repugnant, everything we find repulsive, uh, no. I mean, there'll be a lot of things I'm sure he does that uh, we support and are benign and we can celebrate and uh, we can cross promote and, and, uh, and champion. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, deporting dreamers, no, there's certain there's lines we won't allowed to cross. And it's, you know, I don't care what people perceive us to be. I care what we actually are. Uh, and if we can't stand up for our principles, can't up, stand up for our values uh, as Californians, uh, then uh, shame on us. Uh, but it's not about being obstinate. It's not about uh, uh, being uh, the party of no or just, you know, turning a blind eye to good ideas. Quite the contrary. It's, we're not being ideological here. But at the same time, we are standing firm to our values and our principles. And uh, if he actually follows through on a lot of these things, uh, there's going to be a lot of confrontation. If he decides to cut funding to so-called sanctuary cities, what would that mean to San Francisco? How much money? What would it do? They can't define sanctuary. There, there are hundreds, not a hundred. There are hundreds of sanctuary policies across the country. Many call themselves sanctuary cities. Others have the exact same policy, but don't use the word sanctuary. Um, and, and within sanctuary policy, there's nuance. Interestingly, uh, there was no more eloquent spokesperson for sanctuary policy uh, than former Mayor Rudy Giuliani who said when he was mayor of New York, it does three things. It keeps people safe by making people trust and be more cooperative with police, keeps people healthy by um, being more likely to get vaccinations and engage with the public health care system. And it keeps people educated by making it more likely that people will send and mix families, their kids, they're here legally or uh, here um, uh, in, a, in a mixed family, uh, make sure that they're getting educated. Uh, so, you know, Rudy Giuliani, one of his m most vocal advocates uh, and supporters uh, would be good to advise as it relates to sanctuary policy. And it's interesting, if you're going to defund sanctuary uh, cities, you're de facto defunding the economy in the United States of America. And there are roughly 100 metros in the United States that represent 75 percent of the GDP, of which the overwhelming majority are sanctuary metros. They just don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they're making things up. You could not have the conversation we're having with Donald Trump because he doesn't understand the issue. Well, this whole idea of defunding sanctuary cities anyway, no matter how you describe or define sanctuary cities, already California is underfunded in terms of the amount of federal taxes we get back for every federal dollar we put in. Yeah. Uh, we're we're, well, we're, whole, we're yeah. the biggest donor state. I know. That's where this whole Cal Exit comes in and says, why, don't, why are we giving money to all these red states and they're sitting here taking shots at our values when we're subsidizing so many of them? Um, yeah, no. At the end of the day, we don't get our fair share. We don't get reimbursed for the federal job we do in terms of federal immigration uh, and, and law enforcement. Now, by the way, sanctuary cities only exist because of the failure of the federal government to do its job. Sanctuary states only exist in, in some shape or form. In California, you can argue is de facto a sanctuary state as it relates to uh, some of our policies exist only because of the failure of the federal government uh, to do its job. So you want to get rid of sanctuary cities, do your job by supporting comprehensive immigration reform. Hopefully these guys will wake up to that reality. Again, taken to the extreme, if he's really talking about defunding sanctuary cities or sanctuary states, which California is certainly close to being, yeah. could not a governor in the future 
uh, unite with, say, the governor of uh, New York, which is in a similar situation, and just say, okay, we are donor states. If you want to cut our funding, we'll cut our federal funding to you. Yeah, I mean, we won't pay our taxes. Yeah, it, it's a two-way street in terms of remuneration as it relates to partnerships, as it relates to contribution and tax uh, exchange, et cetera. So, yeah, look, at the end of the day, the United States of America needs California more, with all due respect, than California needs it from an economic perspective. California is the economic engine of the country. It's where the future happens first. Uh, it, it, it inspires and enlivens, uh, and, and it, by definition, uh, is one of the reasons this country is the most vibrant democracy in the world. And so if you want to cut it off or shut it off, or it's cities that are the some parts of that total, which makes up California, uh, then you are absolutely uh, a, a gutting uh, your own economic agenda. Again, it's just self-evident. Self it will become so self-evident that all of this is smoke and mirrors, and it's got the policy itself as a form and substance of fog. In your current job, Lieutenant Governor, there's little actual things that you could do to get in the way of a Trump's agenda, but you do have a voice, and it seems you're determined to make use of it. Yeah, no, I mean, you certainly can use the bully pulpit, but I look, I, I'm on the UC Regions, CSU Board of Trustees, we've been very aggressive and saying we're not going to cooperate with deportation forces that are coming on our state campuses. I, I chair the State Lands Commission, which is uh, significant because it deals with all the onshore, offshore oil drilling issues, all the mineral management, et cetera. All those oil issues come in front of our commission as lieutenant governor. It's just three of us on that commission of which I chair. We will have an outsized role in terms of pushing back uh, on the Trump's environmental agenda, particularly as it relates to offshore oil drilling. Uh, so there are a lot of role, uh, a lot of substantive uh, areas where the lieutenant governor can play a role. But the bully pulpit remains the most significant. It's a little early to be talking about the race for governor, but since the race for governor, Donald Trump, will still be president, no doubt how aggressive California should be in fighting against Donald Trump, I would imagine, will become a campaign issue. Yeah, well, it's easy for me. I've been very aggressive and forceful throughout his candidacy and never took him lightly, actually quite seriously, um, and remain um, um, desirous to continue to do so. You fully expect what California can do about the president of the United States will be a dominating issue. I expect at the moment there's no suggestion otherwise. Um, and, you know, in some respects, bring it on. I, I have no, I mean, one of the, from my perspective, that'd be a wonderful thing because I have no, I'm not timid. I'm someone who's happy to say what I think. I have clarity in my convictions and, and, uh, and I, you know, I believe California's um, you know, a movement. I think we're a cause. I think it's, uh, you know, we have, there's, there's so much to export, but there's also so much to defend. But, you know, part of me wonders, you know, none of us know, we're, we're dealing with uncharted waters here, uncharted territory. We're no, you have no idea. This guy could get, there could be a small mall, uh, a bomb, any incident in Minneapolis, and all of a sudden he's running to a whole new shiny object and we're embroiled in some foreign um, affair that pulls him away from a domestic agenda. I mean, you know, I don't, I really don't know what we don't know here, except uh, one thing is certain is the uncertainty of the moment. And so you never know, two years from now, um, you know, he could turn his back on a lot of these, his own policies. We could be off running in a totally different direction than we anticipated. You, you talk about uncharted waters. Just to think about it, that there could be a California campaign for governor where all the candidates are fighting to position themselves as the strongest against the president of the United States. Yeah, it's conceivable, though we'll have some Republicans in the race that um, I imagine will 
argue that we need to embrace them. Uh, so it won't be all of us. Uh, but yeah, but, but that's not the first time that's happened. I mean, we've had um, antagonistic relationships with the Bush administration in California. So there was, there was always a little bit of this. But Yeah, but this will be more. <laughs> I think we believe it. I think, again, back to the one thing we know is what we don't know. When it comes to Donald Trump, there's just it's so impossible to predict. So at the moment, absolutely, it will be the dominant meme uh, associated with a race for governor. But if a year and a half from now we're having this conversation and it absolutely is not, I wouldn't be surprised either. Look, you got to support someone when he's right. We're not. No one wants to be a Mitch McConnell. No one wants to just be, uh, you know, the, the pablum of just saying no all the time. I, I can't stand that kind of politics. And so when he's right, celebrate it and embrace it. And look, at the end of the day, I hope he's successful. Uh, and I, I root for his success because it's America's success. Uh, but success is inclusivity. Success is respecting uh, the, the values that make America what it is today. And re- success means respecting our values and respecting the largest state uh, in the union, California. And so if he can achieve that, then I'll be singing his praises despite my opposition at the moment. But there's no indication that that day is going to come soon. You say when he's right, celebrate it. Uh, yeah. What what has he been right about so far? What's he doing that you like? Anything? Well, I, mean, I, I like the rhetoric around infrastructure investment, uh, the rhetoric around it. The reality we'll see quite differently. I like the economic development and the assertiveness on jobs in the economy. I like people that are champions of job creation and want to keep jobs here in the United States. Um, and, I, and I like a, a more reflective uh, and sober uh, uh, look at trade policy. So these are areas where, you know, hey, I'm, there's some openness. There's some areas, perhaps, of, of agreement. I like what his daughter was asserting that he was claiming to embrace around the importance of child care and importance of family uh, leave. And uh, we'll see if that manifests into policy. I doubt it. But if it does, I, I, I want to be there being uh, supportive. During your speech in the Democratic Convention, you talked, you accused Trump of a hostile takeover of the American dream. What exactly does that mean? Well, or did someone write that for no, you? No, well, actually, we, that, was a, that speech must have gone through 80 iterations because we fought to get... It was very aggressive against Pence in particular. I thought his pick of Pence, who's uh, supportive of conversion therapy, which is nothing more than child abuse, uh, was particularly... Um, uh, it warranted a particular uh, focus of condemnation. Uh, no, I just think it's reprehensible, that campaign and how he divided folks and unite folks and how he played on people's worst fears and uh, scapegoated and stereotyped people. And to me, all those things uh, were fundamentally un-American. And, and he hijacked uh, enough public opinion around those things that I think became or certainly fly in the face uh, of what America has always long stood for. You've been talking about sanctuary campuses also. Is UC President Napolitano on board with it? No, she doesn't like the word. Uh, I think you call something what it is. Good people can disagree. But she de facto came out with a hybrid policy a few weeks after I asserted uh, that point of view, not in reaction to what I was doing. I think she would have ended up there anyway. Uh, I just I think a lot of people are now capitulating to Donald Trump by trying to change the language, which has become common over 30 years somehow as if if we don't use the word, then he's not going to uh, be particularly offended by our, 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 our policies. I, I find that that's not my kind of politics, but I've seen that from a number of elected officials that want to deny that they have sanctuary policies, even though they've long had sanctuary policies, or that want to advance sanctuary policy, but just don't want to call it sanctuary because it's now a loaded term. I get the concern about it. I get the politics. But, you know, if, you, if you've embraced it, for decades, then at this moment, you sure as hell should stand up and fight for it. 
because we have someone who's fighting strong, uh, very aggressively against it. Well, that brings up an, an, an interesting situation. A lot of people we've been talking to for these podcasts, some of them have said he's such a vindictive man. He lashes out Good. so much that on some issues, maybe it's advisable to accommodate him so that no, he doesn't single San Francisco out or single California out. Others say, no, we resist, we resist, we resist. The train left the station. I mean, the single San Francisco out. I mean, it's these guys have been pointing to San Francisco for decades. San Francisco values, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, do they pay attention to the new before Trump? It's not as if somehow, oh, if we just play uh, nice, all of a sudden uh, he's going to treat us more nicely. I, I, I don't subscribe to that point of view. I think it's profoundly naive. Uh, and uh, what we represent, our brand, our brand of politics, um, uh, has existed for decades and it's under attack. It's under threat. And just because we try to play nice uh, and don't want to offend uh, is, uh, I don't think, in any way, shape or form change uh, the what's what's coming our way. I'm going to uh, read you a list of some of his proposals and ask you what Democrats can do to stop them. If you can kind of give mm -hmm. somewhat quick answers. Deporting immigrants, is there anything the state and local officials can do? Yeah, we don't have to cooperate with federal law enforcement. We don't have to cooperate by sharing uh, DREAMer information, Cal Grant information related to the DREAM Act and the subsidies we're providing those DREAMers. There's enormous amount California can do. If federal agents actually come into the city and start uh, rounding up uh, undocumented immigrants at workplaces, what what well, then? We, we don't, again... Local law enforcement is not the job of the president of the United States. It's an appropriate response for the police uh, commission, for the police chiefs, for mayors, city administrators to prioritize policing. Uh, you put cops on the dots. You choose where to deploy resources. We have the right and the authority, legal authority, to choose not to cooperate with those kinds of raids. And we can call them out. Let, let, me, let me take it a step further. Would there be anything the city can do or the state can do to stop them from happening, to get in the way of uh, civil disobedience? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, look, you've got to follow the rules and follow the laws, and you have to make sure they're following the rules and they're following the laws. Um, and uh, you just can't come in uh, and assert yourself without local uh, support in, in, in many respects, or at least uh, local, um, local government has the right to say yes to certain things and say no to other things. So it depends how those actions manifest. Uh, but there's a lot of things that can be done within the law uh, to make those, uh, those actions much more challenging for the federal government in this administration. Anything Trump opponents can do to stop him from building that wall? Of course. I mean, there's a million things. I mean, there's existing laws on the book, something called CEQA in California. There's NEPA at the federal level. Uh, there's there's indigenous lands uh, and, and, and autonomy as it relates to uh, the governance on those lands. Uh, there are all kinds of obstructions as it relates to just getting zoning approval and getting uh, building permits. All those things uh, could be made very, very challenging for the administration. I mean, that's just simply never going to happen. It's logistically impossible. It's a laughable proposal that somehow Mexico is going to quote unquote pay for it. Uh, it, it just it, that that is just it's just not going to happen. I'm not. But they may do a fence here or there and say, see, we did more than any previous administration. They'll spin that. Uh, but that's not something that uh, I see as a, a particular challenging issue because I just don't see it happening. Registering all Muslims. Not going to happen. I mean, he's already backed off from it. 
Well, he seems to go back and forth on that. Yeah, we'll see. If it does happen, um, you know, it's uh, we we don't have to cooperate again. You need if you want to do things at scale, you need local support to do things. You need cooperation, and without cooperation, these things become immeasurably challenging. So, uh, uh, we have the ability not to cooperate with that kind of wholesale bigotry and uh, and uh, and racism. Uh, easing regulations on environmental rules, uh, which would obviously be a threat to climate change. Yeah, what what can what can people do to stop that? We have a, I have a, on my desk. It's I think it's sixty pages now. It started out about thirty pages of everything we're preparing as it relates to Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act and Endangered Species Act and California's roles with our own uh, state EPA and not just the federal rules changing, but what does that mean to the state? So there's a lot of legal. Uh, there's a lot of legality here. There's a lot of areas of, of where we have redundant regulations in the state. There's a lot of ways we can backfill uh, and uh, make things more challenging. All these things, by the way, are extraordinarily familiar to California because a lot of this did happen during the Bush administration. And we were able to push back, fight back on a lot of these things. Uh, but, uh, you know, at scale, it's not going to be an easy challenge. And to be clear, we're only talking about what you could do in California. As California officials, you can't influence the national easing of regulations if he's determined to do it. But what's really profound about California as a nation state is we've replicated a lot of federal agencies at the state level. So we have backstops that other states don't have. Uh, you know, there's something called NEPA as it relates to environmental regulation and relates to looking at the impact of a development on the environment at the national level. California has something in addition to NEPA called CEQA. Uh, even if they reduce or fast track the ability to work around NEPA, CEQA then goes into effect. There are certain things the state does that add a regulatory uh, layer of protection that uh, are unique to California that give me a little bit more confidence that it's going to be more challenging to get in uh, and, and, and be uh, as disruptive as I think some people believe they can be with California's environmental policies. Stopping Trump from repealing Obamacare, is that uh, is that hopeless? Yeah, I think they'll repeal it. They just won't be able to figure out a way to replace it. And, and they'll probably repeal it by kicking the can down um, delay or some way of finding some way of it trading out of it or it's, well, some version of block grants. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the repeal is a fait accompli. Uh, it's just what, what the replace looks like stop and frisk. He wants to bring back that practice. Well, it's unconstitutional. It's been adjudicated as unconstitutional. Now, there are some that, that disagree with what I just said, but there's a fundamental constitutional question related to stop, stop and frisk that uh, make it bigger than Donald Trump himself. Finally, he's been saying he has a mandate. His supporters say he has a mandate. I'd call it a mandate. I mean, he lost by close to 3 million votes. It was hardly historic. There were 39 presidents that did better in quote-unquote landslides than Donald Trump. Uh, I think he should be quite humble uh, and very, very cautious in in terms of overreach. Uh, It's by no means historic, except for the fact he has zero experience uh, and uh, really mesmerized us with his incapacity and historic incapacity to understand the facts and the nuances of of federal government governance. But uh, beyond that, no mandate whatsoever. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to Shandabel at shandabel.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.